ESPN Radio. That's going to do it from here as the Denver Nuggets win it 129 to 118. Jokic with 38 points, 18 rebounds. Anthony Davis gave it a good run this afternoon. It sucks. It sucks telling these guys every game, proud of you, good effort. We lost. And it's it's just disappointing to, to come in and, you know, just keep saying we fell short. ESPN Radio. He may be the king, but is he above criticism? This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on ESPN+. Plus. We are presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I'm Amber Wilson. He's Chris Canty. You can tweet to us at ChrisCanty99, at AmberW790. You can also join the conversation on the Canty call-in line, where we have been asking you, coming off that Duke-UNC game, with UNC, of course, ending coach K's career as a sports fan what feels better winning a championship or preventing your rival from winning one you can give us a call 1-888-SAY-ESPN that is 888-729-3776 Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So we've talked a lot of college hoops, but transitioning now to the NBA. And oh, Amber, Chris- Amber, we got to go. We got to go out to the call-in line. We absolutely got to go out to the call-in line because Shannon, our producer, is in my ear, and he says we got to take Floyd in North Carolina. Okay, Floyd, you're on deck then. What's up? This better be good. Hey, what's going on, Chris? What's going on tonight? I hope y'all having a good day today because I'm having a great weekend. I, the, I heard the last caller talk about that the Duke win, was it was great, and, and, and that's true. What we did the other night was a drop the mic on Duke. Don't come to me if you were Dukey trying to talk about what y'all can do because we stopped that the other night. Shutting down Cameron, <laughs> shutting down his career, that was awesome. But I still remember, I'm 53 years old, I still remember the 81 loss to Indiana. I remember Ooh. the 16 loss to Villanova. Those are still on my mind. We get to play Duke twice a year. We get to beat them twice a year every year. That comes around. But national championships, they don't come every, every, every year around. So tonight is the night. Yeah, I'm glad about that. Oh, yeah, like I said, it's a drop the mic. If you're a Dukey, don't approach me trying to talk about what they can do. But tonight, <laughs> putting down Kansas, that's what I'm talking about. Number seven, putting that gap between us and Duke by two, by two national titles, creeping up on, on Kentucky and UCLA. That's what it's about, legacy and for and foreverness. Like I said, it was great the other night. I was on my toes, great game, all that. It's a drop the mic with Duke. I ain't worrying about them no more. But what I'm concerned about is Kansas tonight. Yes! And see, Amber, that's how I thought most UNC fans would feel. Like, beating Duke is a footnote on your way to winning a national championship. It shouldn't be the trophy that everybody wanted this year. It's like, okay, this is something that's great. But if you lose tonight, that's the consolation prize. Everybody is judged on whether or not you win championships. It doesn't necessarily feel like you won a championship just because you shut Coach K down in his final season. But it does, though. That's the difference here, I think, because what, you know, I understand in any other season, to Floyd's point, yes, you get to play two twice. This season, you got to play them three times. It has never happened before in the history of the NCAA tournament. So not only did you get the rivalry in the NCAA tournament, you got it in the 
final four. I mean, the only thing that would have been better than that is if we got it tonight instead, right? But National you got Championship, it the, yeah, exactly. That, that would have exactly. been the only thing. <laughs> I mean, you got it in the final four. You got to beat your rival, and you got to end Coach K's career on that note. I do agree in any other season, it is far more important to win a national title than it is to beat Duke. If you're a UNC fan, I just think that this season was the once-in-a-lifetime exception to that rule. But keep the calls coming. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he had some comments on LeBron James. He said some of the things that he's done, referencing LeBron, are really beneath him as far as I can see. Some of the great things that he's done, he's standing on both sides of the fence. Almost, you know, it makes it hard for me to accept that when he's committed himself to a different take on everything, it's hard to figure out where he's standing. You've got to check him out every time. And he went on to discuss some of the more controversial things that LeBron has done recently. The Spider-Man meme on Instagram where it was the three identical Spider-Man characters pointing at one another with the affixed labels COVID, cold, and flu. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said that that is, you know, I guess a knock against LeBron's legacy, so to speak. Now, he has walked that back. He has walked it back and said that his comments were taken out of context and that much has been made about nothing and that he has nothing but the most upstanding respect for LeBron. And I guess, Chris, my reaction initially to this, at least to Kareem walking it back, is why did we need to walk it back? Like, are we not allowed to be critical of LeBron James in in any area? What LeBron has done in his career is indisputable. He's absolutely yeah. remarkable as a player. If you have him second to Michael, fine. But he's in the top three of all-time basketball players ever in the history of the universe. Nobody's disputing that. And also what he's done off the court in terms of his promise school and all the unbelievable work he's done in all of the communities. We focus on what he's done in Cleveland. He hasn't just done it in Cleveland either. He did it, I know, very well when he was in Miami as well. And I'm sure he's doing it out in Los Angeles too. And all the business uh, that he's been involved in as well. So he is absolutely an entrepreneur and he's absolutely a philanthropist and he's done incredible work. Does all of that mean that we can't say anything like he's never had a misstep in LeBron James's life? I don't understand why we have to walk this back. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Amber. Like the things that Kareem pointed to initially, it seemed like they did have some merit to him. But I could also understand why Kareem doesn't want to be overly critical of LeBron James because of the things that LeBron James has stood for the 20-plus years that he's been in the public spotlight. You're talking about a player that's had to do everything right, even going back to high school, Amber, and he's been under such intense scrutiny because along with his gifts came the microscope and him essentially living his life in a fishbowl. So I can understand why Kareem would have this internal conflict and not want to criticize LeBron James because the good that LeBron James has done far outweighs the bad, but when it comes to the platform that LeBron James has, he has to understand that he needs to wield that in a very specific way and make sure that he doesn't do anything that could mislead folks. But let's listen to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his own words on why he's been critical of LeBron James. Well, it just comes from you know some of the things that he's done and said um, are really beneath him as far as I can see, for some of the great things that he's done, you know, it's, he's standing on both sides of the fence almost, you know, I, that I, it makes it hard for me to, you know, accept that uh, when 
he's uh, committed himself to uh, a, a different uh, take on on everything. Uh, you know, it's 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 hard to uh, one. You know, well, it's hard to figure out uh, where he's standing. You know, you got got to check him out every time. And Amber, here's the one thing I will say: sometimes there is an element of hypocrisy when it comes to. Um, you know, professional athletes in that conflict that they have to deal with, with trying to utilize their platform in a socially responsible way, but then also trying to monetize their athletic abilities at the highest level. And the one instance that I will go back to, and it always seemed a little bit strange to me, was what happened when the NBA players went to play exhibition games in China and Daryl Morey was outspoken about the social injustice that people in Hong Kong were experiencing at the hands of of the Chinese government, and when he came out and said something about it, there were a lot of NBA players, a lot of NBA executives, and LeBron James included, that were very critical of Daryl Morey doing that. And so when you have a player that stands for social justice domestically, you wonder why in that instance he didn't stand for social justice internationally. And that was just one of the instances that I could point to and say, you understand you know, how Kareem could come to some of the conclusions that he came to when it comes to criticisms directed toward James. Well, and listen, we know why, right? We know why he he wasn't going to go after China in that spot. And I'm not one who thinks that every athlete needs to, or any person on planet, like you need to take on every problem in the entire world. Agreed. You can do good where you do good. And LeBron has done plenty of good. I just don't like this idea that we can't point out some of that hypocrisy or we can't point out some of the missteps or we can't say, hey, you know, maybe the whole free Kyrie thing is a little, you know, overstated or, or that Instagram post about COVID eh, maybe it wasn't the best idea because, you know, downplaying the deadly virus portion of things might not be the safest as a leader of your community, that kind of thing. I just don't understand why if you take that position that it negates everything else this other person has done. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had tweeted out today, a reporter asked me a question about LeBron and I regret my offhanded response, which has been blown out of proportion. For years, I've expressed my deep admiration and respect for LeBron as a community leader and athlete that hasn't changed and never will. And I guess I didn't initially take Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's comment as not respecting LeBron. I just took it as somebody who was a little critical of LeBron in certain avenues where plenty of people have been a little critical of LeBron, and that's okay. And it just reminded me of that moment, Chris, where LeBron James, he drops the mic after winning his last title, and he goes, I I need my damn respect. And I was thinking like, (laughs) Bro, nobody doesn't respect you. Like, what are we doing? You're LeBron James. Like, literally everybody on planet Earth respects you. And it just feels a little like that, a little overdone. Like, come on, bro. You're the greatest player of our entire generation, and nobody can say anything about you. Well, here's what I will say about that, Amber. If there's anybody that's out there that's sensitive to the plight that LeBron James has had to deal with, it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, he was a child prodigy playing at Power Memorial High School in New York City, won three national championships at UCLA. I mean, the expectations when he came into the NBA might have weighed, you know, as heavy as when LeBron James came into the NBA. And so I think from that perspective, he empathizes with what LeBron has to deal with, and he recognized how much more difficult he could make things by you know utilizing his platform to criticize LeBron. So to me, this is not about whether or not Kareem or anybody else reserves the right to criticize LeBron James. I think this is more about Kareem having a level of awareness, a level of insight that most folks don't have when it comes to how difficult it is to be in a position 
like somebody like LeBron James. Right, and it's fair. And LeBron has had the weight of the world on his shoulders since he was a no literal doubt. child. And no he doubt. has handled it unbelievably, remarkably well for the huge majority of everything he's ever done in his life. Coming up, though, we have some breaking news in the NFL. What does it mean? Are the Saints moving up in the draft to take a quarterback? We'll explain next. ESPN Radio. Another day and more breaking news in the NFL. This is Amber Wilson and Chris Canty here on ESPN Radio. So our very own Adam Schefter has tweeted out that the Eagles are sending picks 16 and 19 and 194 in the sixth round to the Saints in exchange for pick 18, 101 in the third round, 237 in the seventh round, and 2000 and a 2023 first rounder and a 2024 second rounder poor sources so the saints basically long and short of it chris is that they now have picks 16 and 19 the eagles now have picks 15 and 18 a massive swap of picks what's happening well i think this is about the saints trying to move up to get a quarterback this year and the eagles positioning themselves to get a quarterback next year if Jalen Hurts proves not to be a guy. But when you start looking at the draft trade chart and the value of the picks, it, it, it evens out. It makes sense why this would happen. And so I can understand the perspective of both organizations. If you're the Eagles, maybe you don't have that many players that you love in the first round. And so you want to spread the wealth and spread the opportunities to be able to build out the roster over the course of the next two or three seasons. And so to be able to pick up an additional first-round pick in 2023 and then to be able to pick up a second-round pick in 2024, I think it's huge for an organization that's taking a long-term view at how to build their roster and how to construct things around Jalen Hurts or whatever young quarterback ends up taking over the reins. So I think this is about both teams trying to position themselves to get a quarterback. It's just one team is doing it this year and the other is doing it next year. Yeah, so the Eagles, they had the 15th and 16th from the Dolphins and the Colts, respectively, and then they had their own 19th pick. So they had three picks in this first round. So now they go down to 15 and 18, essentially giving up a pick here. The Saints move from the 18th pick to the 16th pick. So it's not like you're moving up a ton, but you're adding that 19th pick as well. So you think, are you theorizing then that New Orleans is doing this in order to take a quarterback? Is that the direction that we're all headed? Because yeah, it's, I mean, it's I, strange I, I, to talk yeah, about toggling I, picks in a in a draft that's that's not particularly quarterback heavy here in this first round. No, it's not quarterback heavy, but there are two names that are at the top of the quarterback board, Amber, when it comes to this year's class, and it's Malik Willis out of Liberty and Kenny Pickett out of Pitt. And you got to imagine that the Saints being in the position that they're in right now, one of the teams that was in the running for Deshaun Watson, they're trying to find a long-term answer at the quarterback spot and it doesn't seem to be Jameis Winston based on the contract that they gave him in free agency. So when I see a move of a team trying to get up the draft board like this at the beginning of April, knowing that the draft is at the end of the month, the first thing that I go to is the quarterbacks. And everybody was prognosticating that all of these quarterbacks were back half of the first round kind of guys, and I think they'll be more jockeying for position over the coming weeks in order to get closer to that top ten range in order to be able to nab one of those guys, whether it's Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis. So I just I think this has got to be about the quarterback position. I, I don't quite know what else it would be about. Maybe you can make the case for pass rusher. But to me, this is about being able to get a quarterback in a draft that seems like it's a little bit scarce at that position.
Now, we keep saying it's scarce at that position. We keep saying it's not a quarterback-heavy draft, but it seems hard to believe that those two guys that you particularly just mentioned are still going to be available at 16. So I think you're right. You're probably, if in fact that is their goal for the Saints, you're probably going to see more toggling now, now that they have these two firsts, uh, in order to try to move up even further. I have a hard time believing, Chris, that we're not going to see a quarterback going in the top 10 the way that things are trending. I just feel like that's the momentum that's building, even though a lot of these mocks early on didn't have a quarterback going until you know 20th I think that you're going to end up seeing one in the top 10 yeah I mean here's the thing Amber why not package the 16 and 19 and try to move up into the top 10 right I mean you could absolutely see a scenario where that would happen not to mention they have their 2024 first round pick if they want to throw that in the mix as well if there's a quarterback that you believe in then go ahead and make that huge commitment go ahead and make that move we've seen teams do it in the past heck Kyle Shanahan did it last year and he traded three Count them, three first-round draft picks to move to number three in order to get Trey Lance, who happened to be the third quarterback off the board. So that just shows you, like, if a team falls in love with one of these guys, the going rate is multiple first-round draft picks. That's what it takes in today's NFL because everybody understands the importance of that position and the impact that that could have on your franchise over the course of the next decade plus. So, yeah, to me, this move is all about the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. But I also think it's all about the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are going to give Jalen Hurts the 2022 season to prove that he is their future franchise quarterback. we got to keep this in mind, too, Amber. Jalen Hurts is not a first-round draft pick. There is no fifth-year option. And the franchise tag keeps going up and up on quarterbacks. So they're going to make a determination on Jalen Hurts this year. And if he proves not to be the guy or not to be the guy at the price that Jalen Hurts' agent wants – then the Eagles have ammunition in 2023 to go get a quarterback and also understanding that 2023 is expected to be a much better quarterback class. So the deal makes sense for both franchises given where they're at. So we're still waiting to find out if Jalen Hurts was a good acquisition for the Eagles. We're also waiting to find out if Harden, frankly, was a good acquisition for the 76ers. We will unpack that next, but first, a word from Indeed. If springtime is kicking your hiring season into full bloom, then you need Indeed. Their powerful all-in-one hiring platform makes it simple to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Just sponsor a post and get matched instantly with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed meet your job description. You can even conveniently schedule and conduct virtual video interviews right from the Indeed website. Visit Indeed.com credit and get $75 toward your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson and Chris Canty hanging out with you. And it is time, Chris Canty, to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers and the sometimes dysfunction that exists in Philly with James Harden on that roster. Because it has been a tumultuous uh, couple weeks, I would say, down the stretch here for them where there are times that James Harden has played well. And then there's other times where it has looked like James Harden 
is aging before our eyes and has lost a step. Or maybe he's still injured with a hamstring injury that I know Greeny keeps pointing out. He injured like a year and a half ago. So how long are we blaming this hammy for James Harden's shortcomings? I also heard this morning, I think it might have been Dominique Foxworth on Greeny, was talking about, well, maybe James Harden is just resting, essentially, for the postseason. There's always so many question marks around what you're going to get out of James Harden, Chris Canty. Yep. But if you don't get max effort from Harden, do the 76ers have any shot, even as well as Joel Embiid has been playing? No, they don't have a shot, and that's because the Sixers gave away a lot of their depth pieces, a lot of their role players, in order to acquire James Harden. So, no, you don't have a shot unless Harden starts to resemble the guy that we saw when he was playing at an MVP level in Houston. Now, there are some flaws when it comes to roster construction on this Sixers team, and the one thing that's highlighted when you watch them play is their lack of perimeter shooting, Amber. James Harden is the best perimeter shooter on this team, and I don't know if that's the place that you want to be if you're Doc Rivers or Daryl Moore. You traded away Seth Curry, who is a knockdown perimeter shooter, not to mean that Seth Curry is the end-all, be-all to any title aspirations, but in terms of spacing the floor and allowing James Harden to do what he does best in the pick-and-roll in order to be able to create for himself and others, you need to have guys that are behind the arc that the defense has to honor. And right now, the Sixers don't have that dude. I mean, George Niang is fine coming off the bench, but he's not anybody that you're afraid of. You're not worried about Maz. He's had an awful season. Tobias Harris has been hit or miss. Tyrese Maxey is hit or miss behind the three-point line. So really, when you start running down all of the other parts on this team, there aren't a lot of guys that are great perimeter shooters. Danny Green, once upon a time, was a great 3 and D guy, but that's the Danny Green going back to the Raptors or the Danny Green going back to even the L.A. Lakers. That's not this version of Danny Green with the Sixers. So I wonder whether or not they have enough of what it takes from an offensive standpoint in order to get the most out of Joel Embiid and James Harden. And right now, it's starting to feel like they don't. Now, I'm not going to let one bad week of basketball impact my overall view of the 76ers. I still think they're a title contender. Because, Amber, I think sometimes we, we, we let things get a little out of hand from a narrative perspective. They lost three games last week, and one was against the Milwaukee Bucks, the other one to the Phoenix Suns. There is no excuse for losing to the Detroit Pistons, even at Little Caesars Arena. Like, you just can't let that happen. But, I mean, they did have back-to-back wins against Eastern Conference playoff teams in the Charlotte Hornets and the Cleveland Cavaliers this weekend. So, I don't know that the sky is falling in Philly, but I'm not quite as bullish on the Sixers as I was right after they made this trade before the deadline. I still look at this team and say they're flawed in comparison to what we see from the Milwaukee Bucks on a night-in, night-out basis. There's four games left in their season. They're sitting at fourth right now in the East. They're going to meet the Pacers a couple times, uh, the Raptors, and then watch out. They're, they're going to finish their regular season against the Detroit Pistons. But I don't care, frankly, what happens here for the regular season for the 76ers because we know superstars tend to not care about all 82. And so mm-hmm. it is conceivable that James Harden may not be going full max right now down the stretch of the regular season because he knows the postseason's coming. And I don't even have a huge huge problem with that what concerns I would imagine 76ers fans a bit more is if that's not the case and it's hard to believe that's the case with James Harden just because we've seen him disappear in the playoffs in the past so there's that reputation around James Harden so although most superstars save themselves for the postseason and we know it gets taken up a notch with James Harden you have those viable concerns about whether he is really going to show up in a big way in the postseason and it is obvious that if he does not 
this team does not have enough, to your point. I mean, Tyrese Maxey has been great. He has been very thrilling this season. He's mm-hmm. a second-year player. He's not the third. He's not a big three in, in in Philadelphia. I mean, he has been wonderful, but he's cooled down a bit here over the last few weeks. James Harden is that piece that has to step up in a big way. And to your point, I don't. the role players around them are critical. And Tobias Harris, I think, frankly, might be the most critical in terms of what he's able to accomplish. And he has been very up and down since Harden joined this team and more down than up, in fact. It's been hard for him to find that chemistry of how to fit in since Harden did join this team. Magic Johnson was on first take this morning with Stephen A. Smith, and he said until Tobias Harris becomes a factor – on the offensive end, he's very concerned. He actually said that he thinks the key is how Harris plays. But the thing is for me, Chris, when we're talking about role players, whether it's Tobias Harris, who's a, who's a nice player, or whether it's Seth Curry, who they traded away, who a lot of people think, okay, well, that's what ruined the 76ers team's uh, championship hopes. I just can't keep help but think, man, if what's standing between you and an NBA title is Seth Curry, not Steph Curry, Mm -hmm. Seth Curry, who's a nice player. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but he is a role player. If that's what's standing between you and an NBA title, then your hopes weren't really particularly high to begin with. Well, Amber, role players are what help you win championships, though, right? I mean, you got to have guys play their respective roles in order for you to have a chance to actually contend. Like, it's going to have to be role players stepping up and making big-time plays. We know what the superstars are bringing to the table but you also know that the opponents are going to game plan in order to take them out of the things that they like to do. And so it's going to be up to the supporting cast to step up and be shot makers. And in today's NBA, that's all about guys that can knock down shots from the perimeter. It's a make-or-miss league, and Doc Rivers talks about that all the time. But with this Sixers offense, it's been more missed than make, and that's a part of the problem. So Tobias Harris, I absolutely agree with Magic. He's going to have to step up, and he's going to have to play that Ryan Anderson role like we saw with James Harden down with the Houston Rockets. He's going to have to be that big that can stretch the floor, that can hang out in the corner and knock down shots if need be in order to give James Harden more room in the paint off of the high pick and roll to be able to get past the defense and to be able to get into the harder things where he can finish at the rim or he can distribute the basketball to other guys. And so right now, Philadelphia just doesn't have that. And I'm afraid that you're going to see the Sixers waste an MVP caliber season that Joel Embiid is pouring in. Again, another 44-17 night for Joel Embiid against mm-hmm. the Cavs on Sunday. Like, they're just going to waste this kind of season with Joel Embiid being healthy and playing at the level that he's at because you don't have enough perimeter shooting. And that's the biggest problem from the Sixers. It's not their defense. It's not their playmakers on offense. They just don't have enough shooting right now. And that's going to be an issue. So I don't know if, if James Harden can take care of that problem in and of himself. And based on what we've seen from him doing the playoffs in the past, I sincerely doubt it. And so that's why I'm tempering my expectations as to what we're going to see from the Sixers once we get to the playoffs. James Harden put up 21, 10, and 10 against the Cavs. They didn't get a ton from anybody else. Uh, Maxie and Harris were the only other two scores in double digits, and you were talking about 11 points each. Harris has been better here the last few games, but you're absolutely right. You need remarkable performances from your two superstars because the supporting cast just hasn't been stepping up to the plate. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. In the East, coming up next, do the Patriots have enough to contend in the AFC, and what are your expectations for Mac Jones in year two? That's next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. 
We have been asking you guys to join the conversation on the Canty call in line at one 888 888-729-3776. Most people have called in to talk about what feels better, winning a championship or preventing your rival from winning one? Obviously, that question was inspired by what UNC did over the weekend to Duke. But Cabana in New Mexico, he wants to talk about something else on the Canty call-in line. Cabana, what's up? Well, how you doing, first and foremost? My name's Cabana. Um, but um, I wanted to talk to Chris Canty specifically, if, if I may. Go ahead, Cabana. Uh, I've been listening to the, I've been listening to this brother on the radio for the last few months, man, and I don't know you, but it's something about you that I, I, I don't like. You know, um, I, I think you kind of get on the mic, man, and you grandstand. You don't let other people talk. Um, if they don't agree with you, you, you go into your five minute rant to make a one minute point. Um, I, I just I just don't get it. You know, you use the big words to make yourself bigger than what you seem about. You know. Um, I like what you bring to the table, but it's just the fact of the matter is I think you do it like in, in a bully kind of way, man. Cabana, you got to give me an example, man. Talk well, to me. I, Help, I me, out. Help me out. Help me out. Because right appreci- we appreciate you tuning in to the show, and we always want to get feedback from our listeners. We always want to get input from you guys because, quite frankly, you guys make the show. So help me help you. No, no problem. And I, and I, you know, I, I love my, my Golic Jr. and everything. But, for example, just this show here that I'm listening to as I got out of work, you guys are talking about is it bigger for Duke to beat Kansas at the rival game or Kansas – I mean, not Kansas, I'm sorry um, – uh, UNC to go on and beat Kansas in the championship. You know, whether or not you and, and the young lady there agree or not, who's to say your, 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 your frame of thought is the right way of thinking? Why, why are you always got to be right? Cabana, I'm not sure that I was always trying to be right. I, I just gave my perspective, and Amber gave a differing view. I didn't try to, you know, disparage her or marginalize her point. I just tried to make my point, and uh, I, I don't think it came across that way. I try not to come across that way. I don't have all of the answers. All I can do is share you my perspective based on my experience in and around sports. That that's it. That's all I do every single day. That's what we try to do in an entertaining fashion, and that's how we craft the show. So. Uh, apologies also, Cabana, for, for you I, not for you not liking what I'm bringing to the table, but you know I just all I can do is do the best that I can with the, with the platform that I got. Well, plus I I, I am always right, so I mean there's wow. only room for Here one of us go. to always be right. <laughs> I, I mean I'm just saying. So hey, you know Chris can't win them all, but uh, he can try as much as he wants to try, <laughs> but he can't win them all because I'm just out here straight winning. ESPN Radio. They say you don't make a trade within your division. Apparently, not always true. This is Amber Wilson and Chris Canty here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. So the New England Patriots, Chris Canty, they have Devontae Parker. They got him from the Miami Dolphins. They got Parker and a 2022 fifth rounder from the Dolphins in exchange for a 2023 third rounder, a move that, of course, has a significant trickle-down effect and and a move that was significant because it's within the division. You don't normally see teams trade a piece away in the division, and it leads me to believe that if the Miami Dolphins were actually worried about Devontae Parker be the missing link between the New England Patriots being successful this season or not, making the postseason or not, making a run here in the postseason – They would not have traded him away to that team, which leads me to believe that they either don't strongly believe in Devontae Parker, who certainly has had durability issues during his tenure in Miami, or 
maybe they don't strongly believe in Mac Jones in the way that roster is currently constructed in New England. Well, I don't know how you couldn't believe in the quarterback and the program in New England because they made the playoffs with a rookie quarterback who also happened to go to the Pro Bowl. So you can say they don't believe in Mac Jones, but if you don't think that Mac Jones is a good quarterback, then what the hell is your opinion of Tua if you're the Miami Dolphins? Because Mac Jones has shown me more in one season than Tua has shown me in the three he's been in the NFL or the two he's been in the NFL. So I just I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the Dolphins not necessarily believing in the Patriots program. I think it has more to do with their player and not necessarily having a place for Devontae Parker in that receiver room that now will feature Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, not to mention Mike Gusecki, who figures to get a lot of touches at the tight end spot. And then Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert are as receivers out of the backfield. I just think at some point you run out of targets for your receivers. So Devontae Parker was a piece that the Miami Dolphins organization decided was expendable once they were able to acquire Tyreek Hill. But uh, I'm with you. I I think that when it comes to trading players within the division, you have to be very careful because outside of your organization, the teams that know those players best – are the teams that play against those players twice a year as opposed Mm -hmm. to once a year. And so when it comes to whether or not I'd be willing to make a deal with Bill Belichick trying to acquire one of my guys, I would absolutely raise an eyebrow. But that could be why we saw the Miami Dolphins uh, ask for a premium for the New England Patriots in the way of draft capital because it was a third-round pick. And when you consider what Amari Cooper went for from the Dallas Cowboys to the Cleveland Browns, that being a fifth-round pick, you got to imagine for a guy like Devontae Parker that the asking price wouldn't have been as high as what we saw Cooper go for. But the fact that it was a third-round pick as opposed to a fifth-round pick leads me to believe that Chris Greer, the general manager for the Dolphins, asked them to put a little extra sauce on the capital coming back to him because he didn't want to trade Parker to a division rival. By the way, Tua, 3-0 and against the New England Patriots since you wanted to throw out the uh, Tua slander during this segment. Who cares? Tua's they haven't been taking to the playoffs. For no Who reason. cares? They haven't been to the playoffs, Amber. They haven't been to the playoffs. The Patriots have been bargain shopping this offseason. So some of these other receivers like the Valdez Scantlings of the world that had become available during this offseason, they probably didn't want to pony up and pay the kind of money. Whereas with Parker here, they get a dude with two years left on his deal under $6 million on both of those last two years. So it seems like a pretty low risk for the Patriots. And yet you are adding a weapon that if Devontae is healthy is certainly a good weapon for Jones. The problem is his health. I mean, that's the most important thing when it comes to Devontae Parker. He's only 29 years old, but he has battled hamstring issues throughout his entire career. He has played every game in a season just once. He had his best season back in 2019. He has had a whole lot of trouble the last two seasons staying on the field. So, you know, they, it's a it's a low-risk buy, I would say, for the Patriots during an offseason where, frankly, the Patriots have done a whole lot of nothing, mm-hmm. which I would imagine is pretty frustrating to Patriots fans. But I actually like this move from the Patriots' perspective because I don't think that there's a ton of risk attached to it. And I do think Mac Jones, as great as Chris Canty thinks he is, the Pro Bowl, I mean, I don't know. You see that accuracy at the Pro Bowl? Throwing the ball into the little round circles? Anyways, but as great as Chris Canty thinks he is. He does need more weapons. Let's be real. I'm not saying that he doesn't need more weapons, but this is the Patriots trying to do that. And Devontae Parker, when healthy, is a guy that has a huge catch radius, and you're adding him to a core 
that would have Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, two very versatile tight ends. And then you also have uh, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers, three catch-and-run guys that can do a lot of damage in the slot. So I, I think they're getting the requisite pieces that Mac Jones would need in that offense. What would be interesting is to see how the New England Patriots replace the loss of Josh McDaniels, their play caller, their offensive coordinator, who's now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, what is that offense going to look like this year? I would assume more of the same, which is going to be a run and play action outfit with utilizing the versatility of those tight ends, a lot of different formations, a lot of different personnel groupings. Um, but uh, again, at some point, you're going to have to be able to put the ball in the air in today's NFL. And, and Mac Jones, I think, gave himself a solid base to build from in his first year as their quarterback. So you would assume that in year two, you're going to see a much more confident version of the young guys. So I, I, I'm i bullish on the New England Patriots because I believe in Bill Belichick. And two years ago, they didn't have a quarterback, so they went 7-9. and nine. It's clear that they now have a quarterback that they can build around, not to mention a quarterback that's on a rookie deal so they can be aggressive. The one thing that I will remind folks of as to you know the Patriots and why they're not being aggressive, remember last year they went out and spent the most money in free agency of any team in the National Football League. You can't continue to do that year over year. So I, I would just say that this is a situation now where the, a lot of the investments that people are asking them to make, they, they made those last year. Now it's about being able to get back to utilizing the draft capital that you have, develop the players that you bring into your program, hitting on some of those guys and getting them to be early contributors. That's what I think Bill Belichick and company are going to be poised to do and at the end of this month in the NFL draft. And so Patriots fans – I know that you're getting a little bit antsy. Heck, the owner is getting a little bit antsy about why they're not competing for championships and winning playoff games. You got Bill Belichick. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. As a sports fan, what feels better, winning a championship or preventing your rival from winning one? We go back to that next.